we live in the digital age. It makes our lives busier and more distracted than ever. As we saw last week, our powers of concentration are less than that of a goldfish, and we are sliding into new habits that are robbing us of productive time. And as a result, our spiritual lives are shriveling. And we're getting more and more drawn into thinking that's shaped by secular assumptions than by the truth of God's word. And in our best moments, we know that that's true. We know that we're not enjoying intimacy with God. We know we're not using our time as we ought. We know that we're not experiencing life to the full, to the glory of God. And it feels as if we're slowly being sucked under by the quicksand of contemporary life, and we don't know how to escape. That's why we're having a brief look at Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 20, before we get back to our series in Romans next week. For these verses in Ephesians summarize the Apostle Paul's argument as what it means to live a life that is both pleasing to God and productive. And last week, as we concentrated on what it means to make the most of every opportunity in this busy and distracted age, we considered the wisdom of a life lived like Jesus. And uh, if you are with us last week, we came up with uh, four headings. Uh, we summarized it like this. We need to retreat and reflect. We need to rest and refrain. We need to resist and reform. We need to rejoice and refuel. And uh, if you weren't here with us uh, last week, maybe I could encourage you to go online, get the video recording or the audio recording so that you can catch up on some of the things that we were saying then. But we recognize that this was just one part of a two-part instruction that Paul gives to followers of Christ. And so we turn our attention this morning to the command there to be filled with the Spirit. And the danger we face is, some of us may imagine that this constitutes the missing piece in our Christian experience. Why? Even whole movements, even whole denominations have been built around this one theological concept of the second blessing experience of the Holy Spirit. And it may well be that you've thought that if you're to live the victorious Christian life that you're aching for, well, you need to get zapped by the Spirit. That's what's lacking, you say. That's the quick fix to our dull and disobedient hearts. And indeed, that's what's on offer in many churches in Edinburgh and beyond. Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, as always, we need to remember that we're not looking at an isolated command, but rather a whole letter that was written for Christian believers who lived in Turkey in or around Ephesus. 
And we noted last week how the first half of this letter is a glorious account of Christian doctrine. It's telling us who we were, it tells us what God has done for us, and what God's intention is for his people. It's summarized in chapter 1, verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And from chapter 4 onwards, those doctrinal truths are then applied by Paul to everyday living for Christians. And there are some very specific And there are some very practical commands for Christians to obey. And it's not until we are halfway through chapter 5 that we come to the section that we're looking at this morning. Let me read again those verses 15 to 18. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So let's begin this morning with three surprising observations. Three surprising observations. The first is this. Terms here are used interchangeably. Terms here are used interchangeably. You see, when the Bible talks of the filling or the baptism of the Spirit, it is referring to one and the same thing. These terms are used interchangeably. We are talking here about the same experience. This is clear, actually, from the reference to the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. If you have a look at Acts 1.5, it will be on screen where Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that is what Luke has recorded Jesus saying about Pentecost. And then compare it with how Luke describes that very event, that very Pentecost event in Acts 2 verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So maybe you've grown up in traditions where there is some sort of distinction and you talk about baptism of the Spirit and you talk about the filling of the Spirit. But actually, these terms are used interchangeably. But but then secondly, I want us to notice that after Pentecost, this filling or baptism of the Holy Spirit is identified with conversion. With the moment that one becomes regenerate, born again, when the Spirit was given For example, Paul uses the expression in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13, where he's talking about how people are incorporated into the body of Christ, or in other words, how they're saved. Uh, Just have a look at these words, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. You see, Paul's argument is when we become Christians, we're incorporated, as it were, into the body of Christ, and he says we're all baptized by one spirit. Or have another look at Luke's use of the expression in Acts 11. Again, it will be on screen, verses 13 to 18. 
Luke records, he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they, no, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And the clear inference is that for Cornelius and his household, the baptism of the Spirit is intimately connected with their coming to faith. Indeed, that is how the church leaders in Jerusalem understood it. Did you notice that phrase? So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance. That leads to life. So what we're seeing is that the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit seems to refer to what happens at conversion, when someone is made new by the Spirit's work. So how does this all fit in with what we're looking at in Ephesians 5 verse 18, which seems to suggest that Paul is commanding those who are already believers to be filled with the Spirit. So how does that work? Well, that leads us on to the second surprising observation. We need to notice the Greek grammar is not immediately obvious. The Greek grammar is not immediately obvious. Um, Paul wasn't speaking in English. The Bible is not recorded in English. It is a translation of the Greek text. And the Greek language possesses uh, more tenses than, than we certainly have in our English language. Sadly, for students of New Testament Greek at various theological colleges here in Edinburgh. And uh, what Paul does, he uses here a tense in this Greek verb that is known as the imperfect. Or if you really want to get uh, trendy, the present passive imperative. And although this seems a bit untidy, the better translation would be um, to reflect this what is continuous uh, passive phrase. It would be this, be constantly being filled with the Spirit. That's a better, more literal translation. Or if you like it, you could put it like this. Go on being filled with the Spirit. That is what Paul is actually saying here. Now, do you see how this dramatically changes how we understand this verse? This verse isn't a command for an additional experience, but rather it is a command that we go on working out what is already true of us. And we can see, therefore, how this is perfectly consistent with what we've already observed in our earlier point, where we say the Spirit uh, comes when we are converted. And now Paul's command to believers is go on being filled with the Spirit. Okay, let me move to the third surprising observation. And it's this, the explanatory contrast is not what you'd expect. The explanatory contrast 
is not what you'd expect. You see, the command to go on being filled with the Spirit is connected by Paul to a surprising image. It's quite stark. It almost seems out of place. But here it is. He says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled, or go on being filled, with the Spirit. And Paul especially intends us to notice the contrasts between drunkenness and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. See, as Paul tells us, drunkenness leads to debauchery. Literally, the Greek word means being wasteful, being profligate. And the Spirit-filled life is the complete opposite. Actually, the Spirit-filled life is productive. It uses gifts and resources with great wisdom. It's so unlike the person who wastes their life away, whether in slavery to drink or in slavery to video games and social media. No, the Spirit-filled life is purposeful. It is productive. But the Spirit-filled life is also one of self-control. Actually, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, self-control, this is the opposite of the drunk. The drunk is someone who's lost self-control. He doesn't know what he's doing. He, he tells his feet to walk in a straight line, uh, but they can't do so. He's lost control of his faculties. But the spirit-filled person is able to control their tongue and their actions and their behavior. They can never say, I couldn't help it. No, there is self-control. And the spirit-filled life is also one which is exhilarating. It's stimulating to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's an excitement when he is Lord of our lives and when we're living under his rule. Whereas alcohol... As any of you at med school or any chemists or pharmacologists, you know alcohol is a depressant. It is not a stimulant. It's a depressant. You see, the trouble is, the general picture of the Christian that we get is that of a person who's pretty dull and pretty boring. My friends, that should never be. Paul is making the point that when you're living that life in which the Holy Spirit is dwelling and is filling you, then there is going to be something which is stimulating about the life you lead. It is the opposite of the drunk. And the Spirit-filled life is also one of power and of life and of energy. Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Ephesians 3, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. But my friends, that isn't the state of the drunk. He gets sleepy. He falls asleep in his drink. He collapses in the doorway. Friends have to get him home. The drink, you see, has done its depressing energy-draining work in the life of that particular individual. But that isn't the life of the Spirit-filled believer. There is a power that comes through the Holy Spirit of God. 
So the contrasts help us understand what a spirit-filled life is like. And my friends, that should be my ongoing experience. It should be your ongoing experience. But then it does raise this big question, well, how on earth can I be like that? How can I go on being filled with the Holy Spirit? How can I live in obedience to this command? Well, there are four simple instructions I think we can glean here. Four simple instructions. Because the Bible gives us answers which are both negative and positive. Two things we shouldn't do, two things we should. So negatively, I must not grieve the Holy Spirit. I must not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's already made reference to this in his letter here in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And Paul, what does that mean? Well, he goes on to tell us in the next two verses, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So how can you go on being filled with the Holy Spirit? You deal with those things in your life that are contrary to the Spirit's influence. Those things that are not honoring Christ. You do something about bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. You make sure that in every situation you are kind and compassionate and forgiving. You see, we need to understand that there is a battle raging that requires your active participation. Paul makes this plain in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 18. So he says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so you, that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And you see, all too often in this age of the instant, we forget that the Spirit wasn't given to make our life easy. That seems to be the assumption that so many have. Oh, the giving of the Holy Spirit. My life is just going to be really hunky-dory. No, the Spirit was given to strengthen us in the daily battle against sin. There is a fight. There are choices to be made. Uh, my friends, the question is this. Are there things in your life which are grieving God's spirit right now you see there is no point sitting here in this congregation saying oh Andy I want to be filled with with the Holy Spirit I want to know this I want to know this ongoing experience and yet there are things in your life that you know are wrong and you're not going to change them you know you can't say both of these things uh, it, it just doesn't work if there are things in your life that need sorting my friends you need to you need to sort them you need to do something about it you need to stop grieving the Holy Spirit. But then, secondly, I must not quench the Holy Spirit. I must not quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not quench the Spirit. You see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is constantly prompting us. He's not silent. He's 
constantly forming thoughts within us and making suggestions. And the real question is whether we will listen to him or whether we will go our own way and follow our own agenda and forfeit all the blessings of a spirit-filled Christ-honoring life. You see, we can allow the busyness of life to swamp any desire to be more like Jesus. Many of you talked to me after last Sunday's message and contacted me about uh, what we were saying. And it seems as if God was just, for many of you, just putting his finger on various areas of your life. But you see, you have choices to make here. You, you might quench the moving and prompting of the Spirit. You, you were saying to me, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to do this, and I need to change this, and I need to get this in order, and I need to get my life sorted in this particular way. My friends, the question is, over this last week, have you quenched the Holy Spirit? Because God, by his Spirit, has been speaking to you, so what have you done with that? How possible it is to quench the moving of the Spirit of God within us. Have you ever known what it is where you feel you should go and speak to someone? Maybe pick up the phone and call someone. Or maybe go and speak to someone in the, our congregational gathering on a Sunday morning. My friends, don't quench the Spirit. But positively, there are things that we should do. We've looked at the two negatives. Let's look at the two positives. So, I need to notice next, I must remind myself the Spirit lives within me. I must remind myself the Spirit lives within me. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Spirit lives within me. Do you know we can so easily forget this? We live at times as if God were not present or maybe he's just a bit further distant from us. Whereas what is required is that that constant knowledge that God himself dwells within our lives, that we live and move and act and respond in the light of his presence. Can I just say to some of you who are struggling with porn, internet porn, one of the greatest antidotes you can have is recognizing that God dwells within you. A holy God dwells within you by his spirit. And you may tie and evict him when you're going on particular websites. But my friends, understand the truth. Understand the truth. Remind yourself that God the Holy Spirit lives within you. Fourthly, I must value and read the Word of God. I must value and read the Word of God. For the Scriptures are the very means by which the Holy Spirit uh, uses to attack and to repel Satan. They are the means whereby we can answer Satan's seducing lies and treasure and value Christ above all. They are the means whereby we can ensure we will not grieve the Holy Spirit and ensure that we go on being filled by the Spirit. Paul writes this in Ephesians 6 verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, what is the sword of the Spirit? What is the weapon the Spirit uses? Which is the Word of God. You're, you're probably aware that Colossians, the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians are closely related letters. They're very similar in many ways. At times, each acts as a commentary upon the other. 
And when you come to Colossians to see the corresponding verse to Ephesians 5.18, be being filled with the Spirit, you discover it's Colossians 3, verse 16. You can see it most clearly. Let me read that verse to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You see, it is virtually synonymous be being filled with the Spirit, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. They go together. Word and Spirit, each operating with the other. I tell you this, you will never find someone who is evidently being filled with the Spirit who does not value and read God's word. My friends, do you want to go on being filled with the Spirit of God? Then you're going to put a primary place on the reading and study of that word. You'll have done it this morning already before you came here. You won't live off the experiences of others or the teachings of others. You will mine those truths for yourself. I will value, I will read the word of God. It is part of the infilling, being filled by the Spirit of God. So if we do these things, both negative and positive, if we take all the steps we can to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what will be the outcome? What will be the result? Well, let me bring you seven significant outcomes, and just in case you think seven, seven brief significant outcomes. First of all, I notice that the context demonstrates that our relationships will be transformed. Uh, Ephesians 5, from verse 18 through to verse 24, is actually one sentence in the Greek. It's all connected. It joins together spiritfulness with submissive relationships within the church family and within the marriage relationship. It even then goes on to describe relationships within the home and within the workplace. And all these are dependent for their blessing upon the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what happens when you are being filled by the Spirit. Then those relationships are enriched and strengthened and helped. Relationships will be transformed. Secondly, it also means that the fruit of the Spirit will become evident in my life, in your life. Actually, you'll be the last person to see it. You won't wake up one morning and think, whoa, you know, my humility is doing really well. No, you'll be the last person to see it. But others will. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will become evident. Thirdly, it means that the passion of my heart will increasingly be the glory and honor of Christ. See, Jesus said of the Spirit in John 16 verse 14, He will bring glory to me. By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. You see, that's the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work is to bring, bring glory to the Son. As Packer, James Packer, most helpfully described it, the Spirit's work is to floodlight Christ. You see, you're not conscious ever really of floodlights. You're, you're taken up rather with what they're illuminating. 
And Packer said that's precisely the work of the Spirit. It's, it's the floodlights. You don't see them, but you see what they're floodlighting. Can I just say this? I don't know if you've ever walked along uh, Shandwick Place uh, at night, and you've passed this building, and you've looked up at it, and you would think, what a pretty dark and dreary building this looks like. It needs lighting. It needs floodlights. And by the way, if you want to... Uh, contribute to us getting some floodlights. That would be absolutely fine. We've already had conversations with uh, some folks about what that would mean for this building. This building needs to be floodlit. We need to put in floodlights where you won't notice the floodlights, but you'll notice the building and the tower and, and all that goes with this lovely building in which this church meets. And that, Packer says, that's precisely what the Holy Spirit of God does. He illuminates Jesus. He, he shines everything on Jesus. And my friends, that's how it is for the Spirit-filled Christian. They long for Christ's glory and honor. They long to see him adored and known. They long that others might see him as they do. Our passion will be, I want Jesus to be known. I want Jesus to be glorified. That's a spirit-filled life. Fourthly, it means that when troubles and difficulties come, as they most surely will, then there's a comfort and strength that is evidently and experientially divine, unique. See, there are so many references in Acts to Holy Spirit filling, which are to do with times of persecution. It's at those times the Holy Spirit filling brings a courage and power and hope and a peace that the world could never manufacture. How do you cope with that? How do you cope with that diagnosis of your cancer? How do you live with such peace in the midst of that? How do you deal with that bereavement you've known? It is the Spirit of God who draws particularly close and there is a remarkable, there is a unique way that the Spirit-filled believer points the glory to Jesus during times of difficulty and struggle. Fifthly, being filled with the Spirit means that there will be an emotional overflow. Look again at our passage. There, Ephesians 5, second half of verse 18 into 19. Paul writes, be filled, or go on being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. You know, that's why we do this weird thing of singing in church. It really is weird. You may not realize it. If you've been coming along to church for a long time, you say, oh, yeah, we sing. No, singing is weird. Corporate singing, just to, let, let's stand up and sing, you know. You, you maybe do that in a sports stadium, and at times the songs sung are, the lyrics may be somewhat dubious. But, but that's probably the only other time you do it. But why do Christians do it? Why, why when we get together, do we sing? Because singing is the emotional overflow. Music is, is one of the best ways that we can express the emotion that we're feeling, the delight that we know in Christ. See, when we come here, it is not to witness a performance. I'm so grateful for the gifts that God has given to so many folks musically who help us and lead us. But we're not listening to them as if they're performing. They are part of the body of Christ and they are doing what they can to help us to express... Glorious truths, comforting truths, challenging truths in ways which are emotional. Can I just say this when we sing, sing. Don't mumble. Don't just say I'm here to listen to it. 
Sing! It's what the Holy Spirit-filled life will want to do. This gathering of God's people should be characterized by a delight in singing. Because there is this emotional overflow. We want to express our delight. Sixthly, it means that there will be a corporate response. You see, the command here is in the plural. A bit more of the Greek for you, if you like. It's not in the you singular, but the you plural. So it could better be translated, you all must go on being filled with the Spirit. This isn't a command for the few. This isn't a command for the spiritual elite. This is a command for each believer here. My Christian friend, you're part of this. And Paul makes it clear that it will be seen in the way that we interact with one another. As we speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why we gather together as a church. It is the Holy Spirit who does something quite remarkable when we gather together. We, we could just say, hey, we're just going to broadcast it live. And you just sit by your own computer screen and you could be part of church. No, that's not church. That's not what God intends. God intends for his people to come together. And in the very coming together of his people, spirit-filled people, there is going to be a ministry and there's going to be a help and there's going to be an encouragement to each other. That's why our worship doesn't finish when I prayed the benediction. It's why we continue to have teas and coffees, why we hang around. That's worship. That's spirit-filled people exercising what it means to be part of the body of Christ and to live and to share and to worship and to respond to one another. It has a corporate aspect. The last thing I will say, simply, it means that there can come times, special times of particular blessing and assurance. You see, a person who is being filled with the Holy Spirit can go on and at other times know what it is to have God draw especially near to them. Have another experience, as it were, of his infilling, indwelling. Have a look at Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, there were already those who were filled with the Spirit, but we're told they were filled again. You see, for us to speak of subsequent blessings of the Holy Spirit is entirely consistent with the teaching that says a believer is given the Spirit at conversion and is called upon to be constantly filled with the Spirit. I don't believe in a second experience Christianity. I believe in a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. I believe God, by his Spirit, does draw close to his people at particular times, in particular ways. And probably many of us have known that, where God has just particularly drawn close and blessed us. And it's something very special, something you can put into words. But you've known again what it is to have God come and minister in your lives. Oh, how we ache for that, how we crave that. We want to go on being filled with the Spirit, but we want to go on and saying, oh God, by your Holy Spirit, would you go on doing your work? Would you assure me more and more of my standing in Christ and who I am so that I would delight in Him better and reflect Him better to this world in which we live, which we operate? So, look, will you do that? Will you go on being filled with the Holy Spirit? 
For Paul actually doesn't put it as a suggestion. Hey guys, think about this. No, he puts it as a command. Be being filled with the Spirit. The call is his. This word. The response is ours. Let's pray.